0: Um, from the first week on the cross, I think the big point was that the cross is an expression of the life that the Father and the Son have always shared in eternity. It's the, the cross is not just a historical event. It is the historical expression of the kind of life that the Father and Son live. It is eternal life. It shows the self-giving love of the Son in response uh, to the will of the Father. That is what the cross is. Last week we talked about how the cross is the way of a disciple. Whosoever would come after me, take up his cross and follow me. Now the Father loves the world. And as we know, if you know any scripture, it's John three sixteen. 16. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Well, guess what? God has lots of sons and lots of daughters. And he wants to give Them to the world in love, in the same way that he gave Jesus in love, and that is someone to go and take up their cross, so that the world can see someone lay down their life for them. And in rejecting God and turning away from God, they cannot just uh, they cannot just reject you know the the air or deity far off. They have to reject someone who is someone right next to them, laying down their lives. And so um, the cross is the way of disciples. The cross is the way that we take on the life of Jesus and live according to the will of the Father. Tonight I said I was going to talk about the resurrection, but um, and, I, and I am going to preach the resurrection, but I'm going to do it by talking about one more aspect of the cross, and that is the joy of the cross. All right. So we've talked about the word of the cross. We've talked about the way of the cross. And tonight we're talking about... The joy of the cross. I hear some joy back there. That's awesome. That just sounds like joy. That's like a deep joy Malachi has. <laughs> and an, another, thing that, another way that you could talk about this is that, that this is the real secret of the cross. This is the secret of the cross. That those who have learned how to take up their cross and do it daily and regularly have really discovered, right? The cross is not a life of doom and gloom. The way of the cross is a way of deep joy, all right? And I just want to say, uh, past couple weeks, Stephen has really, like, I've had songs on my heart based on what where my heart was in bringing a teaching, and Stephen has, like, nailed them. And we don't talk about this. He doesn't know really where I'm headed. Maybe generally he does, but... That song, Rejoice, I want to sing it at the end, because that's really what we're talking about tonight. The joy and the rejoicing that happens for the people of God who have learned how to take up their cross daily. So, like last week, we're just going to have a lot of Scripture. okay? Um, and the first big point, there's really just two points. It's very simple. We're going to do some, some meditating on Scripture tonight. And hopefully a, a picture of what I, I hope to share to you takes, takes shape. Uh, the first big point is this, joy and rejoicing. Joy slash rejoicing, it's kind of the same word in, 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 the, in the Bible. Joy and rejoicing and the way of the cross are inseparably linked in Scripture. Uh, almost, I mean, you, you, if you do a word study on joy... You're going to find it in the strangest contexts, okay? When you think about joy, you think of, I mean, the sources of joy. What are the sources of our joy? We have lots of sources of joy. Um, A warm blanket brings my wife a lot of joy, a very soft blanket. We have lots of them. Like, she cannot pass up a warm, soft blanket. Just a, I mean, we have all sorts of sources of joy. Someone throw out a source of joy in your life. Your kids, yeah. Sports, Sports. a lot of joy. Unless you're a Bengals fan, (laughs) not so much joy there. But a lot of endurance and a lot of patience, right? What else? What brings you joy? We long for joy, right? I mean, we, we deeply long for joy. We kind of live our lives in search of joy, would you say? And, and, and we, we, we live our lives from one experience of joy to the next. When's going to be my next joyful experience? This is sort of the, the thank goodness it's Friday. I'm done with work, and I can get on with the things that actually bring me joy. <laughs> Scripture shows us some very strange things about joy, some very strange sources of joy. In Matthew five eleven, Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Luke says it again in in somewhat the same way. Blessed are you when people hate you. And when they exclude you. Who really likes to be excluded? Everybody got invited but you. And you saw pictures of it on Facebook. And everybody had a great time. And everyone was talking about it. And you never heard about it. Blessed are you. Rejoice and be glad. Now, that's a different kind of exclusion, I think. That's probably just oversight on their part. They're not excluding you on account of the Son of Man. But when they hate you and when they exclude you, revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. (laughs) When was the last time you leapt for joy? It was probably something that amazing that happened. Leap for joy in that day when you're hated and excluded and reviled and spurned. For your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. <laughs> Acts 5.41. I, I mentioned this one last week. And they left the presence of the council after they had been beaten and ordered not to preach anymore, they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 3. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance. In in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying, but behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Did you all hear about the churches of Macedonia? In a severe test of affliction their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They got persecuted, and their response to that was to send money to the other churches. (laughs) This is incredible. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. Nobody nobody compelled them. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. What? And this, not as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. There's that life. They gave themselves to God. What did God do with them when he... With those who give themselves to the Lord, God gives them away to others. This church in Macedonia had a severe test of affliction, and their response, what came out of them when pressed, what comes out of you when pressed? I know what comes out of me. And it's not an abundance of joy and an overflowing wealth of generosity. It's an overflowing wealth of something else. 2 Corinthians 13. For we are glad when when we are weak and you are strong. We are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. Philippians 2, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, even if my ministry, even if all my efforts, the sum total of it is just like a drink offering that's poured out on the real offering. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Colossians 1, 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given me for you. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6. You became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Maybe those believers in Macedonia remembered the Thessalonians. And when their affliction came, they said, hey, this is an opportunity for joy. Hebrews 10, verse 32. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. It's a verse we all know verse that just constantly, I think, hits us over the head. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. This is James 1, verse 2. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. couple more. Are you getting the idea? This is a word study on joy, but it could just as easily be a word study on the cross and on suffering. First Peter 1, verse 3. You, uh, uh, start in verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 1 Peter, again, verse uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So, the way of the cross is not a, it's not a, a life just morose and bogged down and, and hard to be around. A life that embraces the cross is overflowing with joy and it's contagious joy. Because you've entered into something that the world can't offer. And you've received a joy, the source of which is not found in the world. <clears throat> so that's the first point. That the, the, the message of the cross and the way of the cross, you cannot separate it from real joy and real rejoicing. And the second point is this, that this joy ultimately comes, and here's where we're getting around to the, what I originally said I was going to teach on. The joy ultimately comes from the hope of the resurrection. That's the source of this joy. Um, In Acts 2, Peter gives up and he gives the first sermon. And um, he uses one text out of Amos. And another text he uses is one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 16. And he says this, Men of Israel... I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. Why? For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Psalm 16 says, at your right hand, in the Hebrew version, this is quoting the Septuagint, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The fullness of joy. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. He foresaw and spoke about... The resurrection of the Christ. Psalm 16 is about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. I'm going to come back to Psalm 16 at the end. Uh, a couple more scriptures. Philippians 3, verse 2. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul speaking. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, but the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Okay, we're not just talking about suffering in the way of the cross here anymore. We're talking about good stuff. We're talking about zeal for the church. Righteousness according to the law. I count it all as loss because of the surpassing worth of, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Why does Paul want to be like Jesus in his sufferings? Because that was the way to the resurrection. That was the road and the path to the resurrection from the dead. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. When we take up our cross, we die to the worldly perspective and the worldly sources of joy. We die to the fear of death when we take up our cross. We say that this body this body, and this brief time that I have to be alive in this body is not the measure of who I am. It's not my identity. I will not... Uh, This is is a temporary, at best, state of being for me. And what I'm to do in the body is to follow Jesus in His path of suffering and self-sacrifice. Our perspective completely shifts when we we embrace the cross from me-centered to God-centered. And our life begins to revolve around glorifying Him. It says in all these things that, that... The joy is because of the glory that's revealed. As we experience suffering and embrace our cross, it somehow brings glory to God. Our life begins to revolve around glorifying him and enjoying him forever. I think that's the Westminster Confession, right? What is the chief end and purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. David would say amen to that. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 16 would say amen to that. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The pain and sorrow of taking up our cross is temporary at best. And Jesus gave, I think, one of the best, the best analogies to help us think through this. And it's in uh, it's in John 16. Verse twenty. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. He's talking about his, uh, his suffering and his, uh, his passion and his crucifixion. You will weep and lament. The world will rejoice. You will be sorrow, but you will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Remember when Jesus said, "What am I going to say?" Save me from this hour. But for this hour I have come. And he uses the analogy of a woman in labor. She has sorrow because her hour has come. Sometimes in our case, it's like your 30 minutes have come. (laughs) But. When she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. There's a lot of people in this room that can say an amen from experience to that. She no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So, also, you have sorrow now, but I tell you, I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. What a wonderful example. Of what we're talking about here. To give birth to a baby. You must go through extreme anguish. But when the baby is born. That anguish pales in comparison to the joy of holding that child. This is the way we're to live our life. There is a son, a daughter of God that is being birthed in us, and through us. And it is, it is anguish sometimes as we die to ourselves, as we take up our cross, as we joyfully accept the plundering of our property. Whatever the path is that God sends us down, whoever it is that he gives us to love, it is sometimes anguish. Paul himself says, I'm in the agony of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. When we walk with people to get them to the place where they're coming out of the world, coming out of bondage, it is anguish sometimes. But it is all worth it. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. We have have a new child, we have a new life. few more scriptures and then I'm close to being done. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this and here's what he calls all the sufferings of life he encapsulates it with this challenging perplexing baffling phrase for this light momentary affliction it's not it's not as bad as you think it is and it's temporary at best what's the severity of our affliction even in the deepest anguish of a human life, light. What's the duration of it? Momentary. And it's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen. That's what it requires. You take up your cross and you die to the worldly perspective and you gain an internal perspective. I love that this word is just randomly just sitting here. (laughs) I was staring at it. I was going, that's it. That's the thing. That's the the word of the resurrection. We are are raised to eternal life. As we suffer, as we lay down our lives, we are raised into a much more glorious life than we could have ever imagined. As we look not to the things that are seen but that the things that are unseen. Guess what? What's seen when a baby is being born, what's felt immediately is the pain. What's not seen yet? The baby. Once the baby is seen, all of that stuff that was right close to our face just vanishes. All right? You can, if you hold up a penny, you can cover up the sun. But it's all about perspective. You can cover up the sun with a penny if you have the right perspective. But which is greater, a penny or the sun? That's what eternity is like. And that's what this light, momentary affliction is like. We can't see. I can't see the end of this. We're all going around with pennies in front of our eyes. The sun is gone. It's the end of the world. No, you have a penny right in front of your eye. That's it. That's what it is. Bing! It's a light, momentary affliction. Now, I don't want to diminish. There are some, there are some profound depths of suffering that some of us will go through, some of us have gone through, some of us has, have known people to, go, to have gone through. But Paul knows who he's talking to. And Paul knows himself. Paul knows what he himself has endured. But more than that, we have a list in, in Hebrews of all the people that were able to see outside the penny. That's what faith is. Right? You don't live, you don't look at the at the thing that's right in front of your eyes. You look at the unseen, the glory that's behind all that. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, the path of self-sacrifice, the way of the cross. Let us run with endurance, looking to all the stuff that causes us pain, looking to all of our emotions, looking to, no, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And where did he end up? And is seated at the right hand of the Father, where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Hebrews thirteen thirteen. Let us therefore go to him outside the camp And bear the reproach he endured, for here we have no lasting city. We seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have. That's what he boils it down to. What does all this mean? Do good and share what you have. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Our joy is not worldly joy. But the joy of knowing that the Father is pleased with us. What is the greater joy than that? To have the, the, the word of the Father over our lives. This is my beloved son. This is my daughter. My love. And I am so pleased with. As we, as we follow Jesus. And as we are, are united with him. That is what the Father speaks over us. As we lay down our lives, as we go into the ground, as we embrace suffering, as we look to Jesus, he says, yes, I am well pleased. He is pleased. The Father is pleased and glorified to raise up every Every act, every, every time that we lay our lives down, every embrace of the cross, he is pleased to raise us up so that he can have fellowship with us in eternity. We die to this life. We die to the things that are seen. And we are raised in eternity. And it's not just, hey, we get to be in heaven when we die. We get to be with the Father for eternity. Where there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's where we end up. That's what we are raised to, fellowship with God, with the Son, in the eternal fellowship and unity of God. Amen? So I want to read, with all that in mind, I love Psalm 16. It's just one of my, I just come back to it so much. Now hear this as people that Jesus has sent into the world to take up your cross and to lay your life down, and to joyfully accept whatever comes, whatever cost. This, is an, this psalm just gets better and better the more you, be, you begin to live that life. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. There's echoes of Paul in Philippians 3 here. As for the saints of the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. That should be your prayer. That should be the heart with which you lay down your life. You're not going to abandon my soul. You're not going to let me see corruption. You're a God who raises the dead. And I can go into, I can die to anything. I can die to myself. I can lay down. I can give over anything. Because you don't let your Holy One see corruption. He never has and he never will. You make known to me the path of life. This is what real life is. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen? So, we are called to lay down our lives. We are called to take up our cross. Not because God is a stoic God who who just desires ascetic living. (laughs) It's because God is a God who raises the dead. And raises them beyond the life that they had. To an eternal, glorious life in fellowship with Him. So what do you want? Do you want pleasure out of this life? Do you want joy in this life? Or do you want eternal glory and eternal pleasure in the presence of God the Father? Unless a grain of wheat dies, falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Amen. Stephen, can we sing that song to close? Rejoice. And uh, let's, let's stir up our hearts that, hey, we are marching <laughs> toward the cross. We are embracing self-sacrifice. We're going to do hard things. God's going to call us to lay our lives down Praise the Lord. On the other side of that is fellowship with God, is uh, the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So that's the secret of the cross. That it, it, it ends up way better. <laughs> it ends up way better for you in every way. Jesus said, hey, no one who's left houses or, or uh, fields, no one who's given stuff up, you, know, you also are going to get back way more in this life and the next. All right, so obviously we don't want to appeal to worldly desires here, but this really is the secret of the cross. If you really understand who God is, if you really understand eternity, if you stop living with pennies in front of your eyes, and you just you look at a beautiful sunset, you live a totally different life than everyone else, and you are glad to do it. Amen? Amen. So let's sing together. And this is, a, this is not a message that we sit down and we ponder the cost to following Jesus. This is one where we leave out everything and follow him. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who discovered a treasure in a field. And in his joy, he went and sold everything he had and bought the field. All right, so let's sing. And let's sell everything we have and buy the field tonight. Amen? Let's worship.